Good morning again and welcome to Church of the Cross as we come to hear from the living God and his word. Let us begin in prayer. Gracious and almighty God, it is our delight to bless your name, to sing the praises of who you are and what you've done, to name you truly and rightly as Lord of all. We ask now that as we come to hear from your word, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would be freshly crowned as Lord of our lives, and that we would be drawn more fully into your life, sharing in the gifts and the joy that that brings. We pray in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. There's something about ascending that appeals to us. Most everyone longs to go higher. Mount Everest has been in the news of late, if you've been following. After a a climbing tragedy, a number of articles and reports have come out recently regarding the crowded and even unsafe conditions of climbing the world's tallest peak. One recent headline described the zoo-like conditions on the route toward the summit. Climbers, their guides, Sherpas, all clamored up and down the treacherous mountainside. There's great demand to get to the highest point. While living in Japan a number of years ago, I remember a similar, if much more humble, experience climbing Mount Fuji. One in a long line of people streaming to make the ascent, get there by sunrise. There's something about scaling the heights that's so very appealing. There's something innate, it seems, about climbing not just any mountain, but getting to that highest point, to the tip-top of human existence. A sense appeal to us. The idea of ascending, of going up, is one that permeates our language. We talk about someone reaching the heights of their potential or profession breathing rarefied air. We talk about climbing the corporate ladder, leveling up in responsibility and pay. In school, you have the clear progression from first grade through to the 12th, getting higher. We talk about things looking up, about us being on an upswing or even getting high on life or some other substance. (laughs) Up is where we want to be. I thought of that old old, old song from Officer and and a Gentleman, Up Where We Belong. We belong up, we feel. Today is, of course, as Nick said, Ascension Sunday. On this particular day, the church reminds itself of Christ's ascension. For many of us, I suspect, even if we've spent a lot of time around the church or in the, um, the Christian faith, the notion of Christ's ascension is perhaps a little unfamiliar. We talk of resurrection, but the idea that Christ went up, ascended as high up, is one we don't often hear about or reflect upon. But just as the language of ascent, of of moving on up, permeates our everyday lives and world, the image and language, the theme of ascension, permeates the Christian story, the Christian scriptures. The idea that Christ would ascend, would go up, it's all over Scripture. Think of early on obscure figures in the Old Testament like Enoch or a little more well-known like Elijah. These human beings who are described as taken up with God into heaven. 
Moses and the people of Israel meet God on the summit of Mount Sinai. They're in the valley below. He's up top. A whole section of Psalms is titled Songs of Ascent. To ascend Mount Zion is celebrated as to be in the presence of God. The Psalm 24, a famous psalm, asks the question, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who gets to go up? Who gets to enter into the presence of God? Singer-songwriter Andrew Peterson in his song, Remember Me, quotes from Psalm 24. He says, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? The one who utters no untrue word, whose hands are clean, whose heart is pure. Who can ascend that hill? He goes on, there's none righteous, no, not one. We're all prodigal daughters and wayward sons. We don't know the half of the hurt we've done, the countless we have killed. We pile our sins higher and higher. Who can ascend that hill? Douglas Farrow is a well-known Catholic theologian from Montreal. He suggests that the Garden of Eden itself might be considered this metaphorical mountain where human beings walked and talked with a God who was above. And the fall is, of course, a descent, a descent from this high point. And ever since, there's this human desire, this human longing, this human effort to get back. The Tower of Babel is this attempt to transcend, to get back, to return to the heights for which we were made and for which we long. Like the builders of that tower, we long to be higher up. We long for tastes, experiences of the transcendent, glimpses of something higher. We make every effort to ascend to something more. Reaching for the heights any way we can only to fall back in on ourselves. The gift of this day and the truth of Christ's ascension is the reminder that we are right to long for something more. The impulse, the desire for something higher up is true and good. And the gift of this day is it points us again to the one who has ascended, and reminds us of the means by which we might also ascend. Our reading this morning from Ephesians chapter 1 can help us with this. In our reading at the end of chapter 1, Paul's introduction to his letter, he describes this prayer, this desire he has for his readers, for us. In outlining this prayer, he names three elements, three realities. In verses 18 and 19, he wants the Ephesians and us to know, to, to lay hold of. And these three realities all are elements of Christ's ascension. These three might be summed up in the words hope, inheritance, and power. Hope, inheritance, and power. Paul's desire first is that those who follow Jesus, the church, would know what is the hope to which he has called you, hope. There's something embarrassing about the ascension. The scenes described in our readings this morning from Acts and Luke are strange. There's this description of Jesus being lifted up before the eyes of the disciples and then hidden by a cloud. If you think of uh, Super Mario Brothers, you think of when you get above those clouds and he's hidden up there in some kind of way. 
There's this picture of him withdrawing and then being carried up into heaven. A Russian cosmonaut, Yuri Gargarin, the first man in space, famously stated that upon his return to earth, he could confidently say, God doesn't exist. I looked around and didn't see him. (laughs) I always wonder, was was he hiding behind the moon, maybe, or something? (laughs) But what that comment gets at is some of the strangeness here. If it had been a clear day, would the disciples just have seen Jesus continue drifting on into the distance? If you had a telescope or radar, would they have caught a glimpse of him out over the Mediterranean? I have a friend for whom the strangeness of this episode prompted a serious season of doubt and questioning of their faith. How to make sense of it. But the embarrassment around the ascension actually predates contemporary, modern understandings of the atmosphere and space. Early church thinkers wrestled with Christ's ascension as it's depicted in Luke and Acts. They were embarrassed by its implications. And that embarrassment didn't have anything to do with what we, contemporary readers, might consider the strangeness of the scene. But with the idea that Jesus ascended, he went up as a human being. That he went up as a human person in a human body. Some early church thinkers were so embarrassed that they conceived of this ascension as the ascension of a mind or soul alone. And they emphasized that in order to ascend, Christ became pure soul or mind, that he journeyed into the presence of God in some disembodied way. The body couldn't quite get there. This might strike us as equally strange and weird today. But the idea that we ascend, that we advance or improve, that we go up by retreating from our bodies, from matter, is actually one that we're quite familiar with. Much religion is based on the conviction that the path toward salvation, toward enlightenment, toward the transcendent involves detaching ourselves from material things. It's perhaps even a conviction we share. Our bodies are what is aging and decaying. Our bodies are what disgust us or lead us astray, we feel. So we need to escape them. Encouraged by our phones, by our computers, by all our technological capabilities, we understand our true selves to be detached in some way from our bodies, from our physicality. And so to grow or to ascend means we leave our body behind. We shed the material. What matters most is my internal experience. But the hope that Paul desires for us is something different. The hope of the ascension is something different and better. It's earthy, embodied hope. The good news of Christ's ascension is especially good because Jesus, as a human person, as a human body, has ascended to God's presence. Strange as the scenes are in Luke and Acts, the goodness of them is that they depict a body, a face like your own, entering into the presence of God. They depict the human body for all its ugliness and comedy, despite all the shame we feel around it, entering in to the presence of God. St. Augustine described the relationship between God the Father and God the Son as one of un-
unparalleled love, eternal and powerful, perfect love. Because of what we mark today, when God the Father looks upon God the Son with that love, he sees a face like yours and mine. He sees a human person, and he loves it. He loves them with perfect love. The path upward is not a retreat from being human. It's not an escape from your body. God made your body. He loves your body. And the hope of the ascension is that as you were made, you can ascend. One of my favorite things to do as a priest is to lead house blessings, to, to go into a home and you pray through the various rooms. There's readings in the various rooms. And without fail, there's always a few parts where people get a little embarrassed where there's a little bit of chuckling. As you go from room to room, you can imagine what some of those rooms. One of those rooms is the bathroom. You say, okay, now comes the time to pray for the bathroom. And there's an awkward laugh. Like, really? Are we going to do this? Are we going to pray over the bathroom? And everyone crams into the powder room or the hallway just outside. And there's a reading and there's a prayer. And some of the most powerful moments in house blessings for me actually have occurred there. We pray over the mirror. We pray that what people see in the mirror, they would receive as an object of God's love. We pray over the most intimate, vulnerable elements of our physicality, knowing that God himself is interested in these details of our lives. And his redemption includes those parts of our lives. God loves your body. The hope of the ascension, the beauty, the good news of it is that a human body has ascended. Christ, as a human person, has been lifted up. And because he has done so, we have hope. The hope of our calling, a, a calling Paul elsewhere describes as an upward call, a call to ascend and to share in his glory. This leads us to the second word, inheritance. The hope and expectation is that we will, with Christ, ascend to glory, to the riches, the glorious riches of his inheritance. I know a number of people here at Church of the Cross have watched and raved about the documentary film Free Solo. I know, I think it won, I think it won the Academy Award this year. This movie, if you're not familiar with it, was made by... Che Vassarelli and Jimmy Chin, and it's about Alex Hanold, this man who free soloed, who climbed El Capitan in Yosemite, a 3,000-foot rock face, without any partner, without any rope. He just did it. The, the uh, magnitude of what he accomplished is driven home by the fact that uh, they take out just the first third, and they said if you free soloed just the first third, that would be the accomplishment of a lifetime for a rock climber, and he did the whole thing in one day. It's a remarkable film, but the wonder and beauty of it is that a human being did this. We marvel. We get drawn in by the fact that a human person ascended. They accomplished this. There's a possibility that we marvel at, and in some way, we share in it. This human being did this remarkable thing. Look at the heights to which a human person has ascended. We share in Christ's ascension even further, even more. The hope Paul desires us to know 
is the hope that we're called up with him. We're called to the heights to which he has ascended. We share in the riches of his inheritance. This phrase of, and description of his inheritance is a little bit ambiguous. Elsewhere, the Apostle Paul speaks of our inheritance in Christ. Here, it's his inheritance in the saints. And there's some debate about, does this mean that we're Christ's inheritance, that Christ is the one who's ascended, will inherit all, all the saints, all the people? Or is it emphasizing that, that we will receive what he has? It's ambiguous, but what is clear is this notion of sharing. We share in what Christ has. Where he has ascended, the hope is that human beings will too. This is the hope of his glorious inheritance. We share in all that he receives. Those who put their trust in Jesus, who invest their lives in this Christ-like way of the cross, the same downward trajectory of self-giving love, they too will ascend. The path to glory, the path to going up, is shaped in a Christ-like way. A human being has risen up to the, the heights that we long after, for which we were made. He's done it. And so we too can share with him in the riches of that. The promise of the ascension is that every human person, regardless of their shameful past, the brokenness of their decisions, their capabilities or not, can ascend God's holy hill, can be raised up to the highest of heights, not by their own right living or by the exercise of their own personal autonomy, not by following their bliss, but by their faith in Christ alone by their lived allegiance to him. The promise of this is staggering to behold. In the very next chapter, in Ephesians 2, verse 6, Paul describes those who put their trust in Christ, put their trust in Christ as now sitting with him in heavenly places. He describes it as a current reality in some kind of way. This is how certain the hope is. By God's grace and power, those who put their trust in Jesus following after him are in some way made alive, raised up, and even now seated with him. His ascension in some mysterious way is already our own and will be. A few weeks ago, I had the privilege of spending about five days at a, a Benedictine abbey in Louisiana. Part of this time was spent with these monks, with these brothers, Praying the Psalms. This is what Benedictine monks do. They either between eight and five times a day, they pray through various sections of the Psalms. We cheated a little bit. This is a little more lax, and they took vigils, which is normally prayed at 2 a.m. and made it 6 a.m., thankfully, so we could sleep in just a little bit longer. And truth be told, these hours were often dry and rote, sleepy. You drift in and out of being present to what you were saying, what was being prayed or read or sung. There was a richness to just doing the exercise, but you understand me, I wasn't always mentally as present as I could have been. But there was one particular moment that occurred during these few days that for me was particularly powerful. We were singing this hymn, a song I don't know, uh, assume it's from the Roman Catholic tradition. And the song recounted the acts of God in the past, 
the saints of old, our forebears in faith, who had tasted and seen that the Lord was good. And in its final verses, it looked forward to this glorious crowd of people, of all God's saints gathered with Christ, sharing with him, us included. I wish I could remember the words precisely, but something about them struck this deep chord within me. And all I can say is that something snapped into place for even just a few moments. This sense of living profoundly in the context of God's grace. The phrase, you are coming from grace, going to grace, kept coming to mind. It accurately summed up this sensation. This deep sense of living in the certainty, the confidence of God's power, his grace, his victory. The security of that. A sense in some small way, perhaps, of being seated with Christ, ascendant with him, sharing in that. I don't know about you, but I don't naturally live in that place. That conscious awareness or perspective. It's my anxieties that often rule the day. The insecurity of feeling perpetually behind, of of not being enough. Sometimes I feel like I live as though I always have an overdue book out from the library. (laughs) That I will not get to where I long to be. I won't finish. I'll miss the end for which I was made. The gift of this moment I experienced is a reminder of the truth that is available in the ascendant Christ that Paul longs for us to lay hold of. That we live in the context of Jesus' power and victory. Unrivaled power, the Apostle Paul emphasizes here. And by grace are included sharing in that victory. Sharing in his ascension. So it's not like the shifting circumstances of life, the challenges, the tasks, the setbacks, my own failures. It's not that they don't matter. But they do not compare to the glorious riches that are mine in Christ and the certainty that those riches will be mine. I live in the context of grace, and and since that experience, I've been able, at certain moments, as I feel the pressures of life, the the anxieties, the, the failures of my own life, as I felt them press in on me, the reminder that I am coming from grace and headed to grace that I live in the context of God's gracious victory has been a balm, has been a help to me. Even in the face of temptation, sin so often is simply our desire to get a high, right? To experience something further, something transcendent. And there's a recognition in what we celebrate today that the riches that are ours in Christ make everything else pale in comparison. So there's no need to taste and to touch. We don't have to lay hold of transcendence on our own. The final reality that Paul mentions, that he desires that we would lay hold of, relates to power. Christ's ascension involves power. The immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. We'll look more at this next week on Pentecost. But the ascension of Jesus precedes the sending of the Spirit. And these are in some way linked. Christ's departure, his going up, means he sends us his Spirit. 
the same power that caused Jesus to rise from the dead at work toward us. As you consider what it means in your life to follow Jesus, to take on the pattern of his life, the pattern of his way of life, the good, the true, the beautiful, this way that ascends, chances are you don't feel sufficient to the task. You shouldn't feel sufficient to the task. If you do, you're doing something wrong. In and of ourselves, we cannot follow this way. We cannot ascend. As Peterson's song said, we're all prodigal daughters and wayward sons. But the promise of Christ's ascension is the promise of power. Power toward us. The direction of that is remarkable. Power. The same power that was there at the beginning of creation, hovering over the waters, bringing cosmos out of chaos, making something out of nothing. The same power, as Paul says, that raised Jesus from the dead, now toward you and me. In Christ, we are clothed with power on high. It's as though, as, as though Alex Honnold, free solo, at the top of El Capitan, could impart his abilities, his strength, his power to us, that we could climb higher than we ever could on our own. To ascend to where we are called, to ascend to the heights for which we long, we must be changed. There's a remaking in us. Psalm 24 declares that the one with clean hands and a pure heart can ascend God's holy hill. That is not me. And that is not you. None of us climbs that hill but on the back of Jesus, the ascended Lord. By his cross, he has cleansed us. And through him, the same power that raised him from the dead is at work in our lives, remaking us that we might ascend. One of my favorite verses in Scripture is 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Where Peter declares, his divine power gives us everything we need for a godly life, for the life of ascension. We long to be higher up. We were made to be higher. And in the ascended Lord, what we have is the means, as well as the hope of that good end. We have the certain promise of sharing in his inheritance. And through him we have power power from on high that we might be made new, that we might be drawn up. So let us come to him in faith. Let's pray. Gracious and almighty God, you have set eternity in our hearts. You have set in us a desire and longing for things that are higher up. Higher up than we can touch and taste than we can get to on our own. We all, in various ways, express that longing, know that longing, experience it in our, in our hunger, in our desires, O oh Lord. And would you this day, on this Ascension Day, freshly reveal yourself is the one who satisfies that longing. Would you this morning, by your Holy Spirit, in your mercy, 
Make us able to lay hold of the hope we have in you, that you're calling us upward, that you're calling us to yourself. We would have this day a sense of the glorious riches of the inheritance that we share in through Christ. And lastly, this day, would we have a fresh sense of the power, the power of your resurrection toward us, working in us to accomplish what we could not do on our own. In the quiet and the stillness of this moment, would you come, Lord Jesus? Would you come, send your Holy Spirit upon us? In your name we pray.